This is the Him Publications Podcast. I'm Chad Harrington. This is class session three of eight, which is a part of our spiritual formation mini-series from a class offered at Harpeth Christian Church. In the first two sessions, we covered the framework of spiritual formation in general, and now we get into the disciplines themselves, starting today with solitude and silence, which we can call the primal disciplines of abstinence. In this class, I cast the vision for the importance of these disciplines, the benefits, common barriers, and practical guidance on how to make these disciplines an essential part of your spiritual formation journey. If you want class notes, downloads, and other materials that go with this course, go to himpublications.com about, and you can contact us there. And now for the class session. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Chad Harrington. This is class three of spiritual formation, solitude and silence. Congratulations on waking up making it here in person, turning your computer on. Sometimes that is actually really hard to do, is just to get started. So hopefully you've wrapped up your rule of life. I was really excited. There was 10 or 12 of you who turned those in and filled out the form, and that was super helpful for me to get some feedback. So I just wanted to say, if you haven't done your first draft, then just, just do it. The people who turned it in did great, and you're one of the people who could turn it in, or could have also turned it in. So you would have done great, logically, because everyone else did great. Um, I, I was really encouraged by that. It's really good to get feedback, too, to see, okay, how well did I communicate? And there were different styles and, and different ways that people did it. Um, so I was just thankful for that. The other thing I asked was that you would turn in and sort of submit your answers to the two big questions last week. What's your primary desire and what are your greatest challenges? And so um, if you have not done those, I would still like them. Um, that would just still be really helpful. What's cool though is as we go through these class sessions, hopefully you're gonna realize new things you wanna add or things you wanna change, maybe things you even wanna take away. Do that as you go. You've got your first draft. Totally redraft it. That's, you're supposed to do that. And if you want more information about how to do the rule of life, you can either message me or you can get a book called The Life You've Always Wanted. Um, it's got a whole chapter on that. It's by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. So I just wanted to give you that. I wanted to ask this as we get started. How did it go identifying your primary desire in life? I saw 10 or 12 last night, but I wanted to just ask, and, and for those online, um, feel free to just shoot us a message. How was that experience? It was difficult. Thanks for sharing that. It is hard. It should, it should be. Yeah, thanks. Christy? I was surprised. Okay. You were surprised by the fact that it was easier to come up with your barrier than your desire. Right. It's like, I want something, but I really run into these barriers. That's what's right in front of you, you know. What else? Okay, so just for those online, Jim said that he's kind of seen where he knows what he wants, but he also knows what God wants, and struggling to let those meet is, is a... You've enjoyed the process of, of working through that struggle and, and you feel like that you're getting help. That's great. Um, feel free to continue answering that, but also, yes. Yeah, just for those online, Cheryl was saying that it's hard to name what we want sometimes because of what we ought to want. And so we're free to just say it. It doesn't mean that we will continue wanting that or that we won't invite God into it, but to start there. Thank you. Uh, did anyone else find encouragement from that? Like, hey, I can actually just name what I want. It doesn't have to be what I'm supposed to want. 
I know that's really freeing for me. How about the challenges? How was that to name your surface level and your deeper heart level barriers? Harder to get to the deeper level. Me too. Yeah, I, for me, I can think of the surface level barriers like that. It's those heart level barriers for me. Uh, who else? Mm, it was freeing. Dave was saying that the fear of change is a barrier for him, but identifying that is really freeing. And that's really what it should be. It's like, if you think of yourself running up into a barrier that you don't know what it is, maybe you're in the dark about it. If you don't know what it is, how are you gonna like attack it, right? You don't know what the battle should be. So that's a big reason why we name these things. Again, um, there is a link that I posted yesterday on the Facebook group and the email I sent yesterday to submit those to me. That's really for feedback for me, but also it'll help me to know you and to teach even better as we go along. And again, I wanna to offer to review everyone's rule of life. I will do that for you. So go ahead, and it's really easy. You can just click on that and it's a Google form. So please do that. Um, I think it'll make this experience much richer. Um, you don't have to do this all the time, but these initial assignments are really kind of trajectory setting. So I wanted to just encourage you to do that and uh, emphasize that. The beauty of the freedom in Christ that we have is that when we name a barrier, it's not a bad thing. God can help us. In fact, it's really important that we go there because the freedom we have in Christ and the hope we have in Christ. That's why it's good to name these things is because that's not the end of the story. So this week, um, to follow up on this class about solitude and silence, we are going to do um, these worksheets, ones on solitude, and it's going to be, basically it's designed to help you identify how to, how to find solitude in your life. And then one on silence. How do you, what does silence mean for you? This is not how everyone should do it. This, these are questions to help you identify how you should do it as you prayerfully seek the Lord about these things and say, God, what do you want me to do here? I need solitude and silence. And so um, I want you to pick your specific time and place of regular solitude. And these sheets are, by the way, downloadable online. I uploaded them this morning on Facebook and then we printed them off so you've got these in your hand. Um, Pick your specific time and place for regular solitude, that is, on a regular basis, and then also pick your time and place for an annual retreat. And I'm going to talk more about that. Um, I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table about this. My goal for you is that everyone would find a way in your own personality and your own schedule to take a yearly retreat for three to five days alone. That's my goal for, if everyone in the class would do that, then I think your life would greatly be enhanced and it could change the trajectory of your life. So I'm just gonna put my cards on the table and say, that's my goal for you. How you work that out, there's a ton of ways to do that. And then also to take extended alone time every week to connect with God. And you can interpret that however you want. But to be alone, not to like go on a vacation or sit on the couch or whatever, but to take time to be alone every week to connect with God. Those are my two goals. And the, the, you can write exactly how you want to do those things. You could say, Chad, I want to go two times a year. I'm going to go every quarter. I'm going to go every decade. It's like whatever you want to do. But those are, that's what I think 
would be so great as kind of a base level for everybody. So I'll just, I'll just say it. The second one about silence is, is going to help you identify distractions in your life and then make decisions, plans, and to find accountability to help you become a person who embraces silence. So those are the assignments for this week. It's really simple, really life-giving, um, and I've tried to lay it out clearly. Again, I want your feedback for all these things because these are kind of fresh exercises and, and I want to make them available in the future. So as we dig into solitude and silence today, I wanted to place them within the greater disciplines. And so on your sheet, uh, on your class notes, which again are downloadable online on the Facebook group, but also you've got um, those printed off. The first sheet of the class notes has the, some key disciplines and they go into two categories. Again, you can slice and dice this stuff differently. There's inward and outward and then there's corporate disciplines, but the most helpful way that I've thought, uh, I've been able to conceptualize these, comes from Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. And he breaks them down into disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. Abstinence meaning you abstain from things. Engagement meaning you engage these things. So it's interesting. There's both a saying no and a saying yes to the discipline life. So uh, the disciplines of abstinence you have listed there. Um, and the first two are solitude and silence. So um, I want to introduce solitude and silence to you today by sharing my experience with these as a way to give you a little bit of background and context for the things I'm gonna say, but also to paint the picture about what it can look like. And then we'll dig into them. So my experience with solitude and si my experience with solitude and silence goes back to my college years. Now, I didn't really know it at the time, but this was my first sort of thrust into the world of solitude and silence. And it happened when I was 19 in 2005, that summer when we were being trained as Ozark Christian College camp team students, where we would travel around the country, going to different camps for junior high and senior high students. And they wanted us to, we basically got a crash course in the disciplines. And this, it was such a gift at the time, but I didn't know that it was. And so we were on this retreat as a, as a group of 20 or 30 students and they it was like this camp area and they just let us go for like three or four hours and they said the only rule is you can't talk to each other and you have to be alone it's like what do we do i think they trained us a little bit on it but i don't remember that part i just remember being thrust out into the what felt like wilderness for three and or four hours and as a 19 year old with all my friends around that seemed a long time um but I didn't really start embracing it in my life. It was just sort of like, do this. And I remember it being powerful. I remember meditating on and memorizing the word and connecting with God. But then it was like, okay, moving along. Fast forward to 2009, and it's the winter. And I was in what I think of as my quarter-life crisis. It's the best way to think of it. Um, and I needed some guidance. And I heard about a retreat center called the Abbey of Gethsemane in Trappist, Kentucky, founded in 1849. And so I arranged a getaway 
This is about 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago. And I went there and found out that it's not only a retreat center, but it's a silent retreat center. You're not allowed to talk to anybody. And so for three days, I practiced solitude and silence. And that was the first time in my life I had been alone and quiet, as far as I can remember, for three whole days. Not a word to anybody. I, I had a decision to make at that point in my life. And when I went there, I gained clarity and it refreshed my soul in a way that I'll never forget. And I made a small life decision um, during that first retreat. And ever since then, I've gone back at least once a year. Some years I, I haven't gone, some years I've gone twice, but it, on average, it's once a year for the last decade. And I'm telling you, friends, brothers and sisters, this practice of retreating from the world to find silence and solitude is one of the most life-giving, refocusing, potentially life-altering, like changing your trajectory practices that I can advise to you. There's nothing like it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about solitude and silence. So I think of it in terms of big extended retreats for multiple days, but I also am talking about it in terms of smaller ventures like that, where you bring that sort of thing in small increments into your regular life. But it's, it's setting aside actual time to do this that I'm talking about. And here's the goal. It's to hear from God. That's it. We've got to be trained on how to do that. Even if we have the ears to hear, we need help. Like the boy Samuel, when he was living in the temple area with Eli. Or I guess it was the, he was, I'm not sure exactly what it looked like, but it was the tent of the Lord. It was, it was where the Lord's presence dwelled in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And it said that in those days the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many prophetic visions. That's the beginning of the story, right? But there was one who could hear. The little boy, Samuel. And he woke up in the middle of the night because he heard the Lord call to him. And he said, here I am. But he thought it was Eli. So he gets up and he goes to Eli, who is his disciple maker, essentially. By the way, who's, it says his eyes were weak. I wonder why there weren't many visions. And Eli was like, go back to bed, <laughs> you know. Samuel goes back to bed. Here I am, Lord. He hears him again. Goes to Eli. He says, hey, did you call me? And Eli's like, no, go back to bed. So this happens three times, and eventually Samuel goes back to bed with the instructions of his wise disciple maker and said, it's the Lord calling you. And when he answers next time, say, here I am. And when he wakes up, he recognizes the voice of the Lord and he says, here I am. He says, and then he, the Lord calls his name. And Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tickle. 
which is a funny way to say it. Notice his context, though, alone and silent. Why did God speak to him in that context? Why wasn't it the middle of the day? I think he was training him to hear when there was no noise around and no one else to confuse his voice. He even, he even got confused. Was that Eli talking to me? No, it was the Lord. We need help to discern the voice of the Lord. So that we can hear from him. Don't you long to hear the voice of the Lord? <laughs> Why do we long for this? I don't quite understand it, but we all deeply long to hear from our Father in heaven. And there's only certain things that we will hear from the Lord when we get away and we're silent. So let's talk about these. And we're going to... And we're going to start with what Dallas Willard calls the primal discipline of abstinence, solitude. So why should we find solitude? That's kind of a, a, a real question. Okay, I've, I've sort of given you my story and talked about an example from the Bible. But I want to just talk about, practically speaking, what does it do for us? Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want things that work for us, right? <laughs> and so if it didn't make sense for us, I don't think we would even give it a shot. So let me give just bullet point reasons why you should find solitude. It gives us energy. It provides vision or refocused vision. It offers us the ability to experience silence. How, how are you going to find silence if you're constantly around people or things? It creates space in your life for God to speak. It gives us the opportunity to grow in dependence on God. A couple weeks ago, I heard this really cool explanation about the goal for us, and for our children, by the way, is not that they would become independent people. They're dependent, and we're dependent, right? The goal is interdependence for parents. Now, God's never dependent on us, but the goal is not for us that we would be independent, spiritual, disciplined kind of people, we could just do it. You know, no, it's to gain dependence on the Lord. It also allows us to go deep with God. You know, this class as a whole is called Digging Deep. That's what all these classes are together here at Harpeth Christian Church. Digging Deep. Has anyone read the book by Cal Newport, Deep Work? Has anyone read that? So this is the business or uh, work world equivalent of what we're talking about. His premise, it's a very good book, very practical, helpful, research-based. Um, guy's an MIT grad, but he found sort of this key to unlock. It would be like the, um, if, you take, <laughs> if you take out the spiritual element of this, it's still valid. That's what he's basically saying. Um, without knowing it, he, he found this gem that if you can turn everything off and get utterly alone, you can really go places with your job, whatever your task is, in a way that cannot be achieved otherwise. He calls it deep work. And it's really 
begun to form how I do my own like actual work during the day. Um, but I want to propose deep disciplines. In other words, if you kind of sprinkle the disciplines on your life here and there, and you just you get a snippet of a sermon here, and you do your little devo there for 10 or 15, those are good things, right? Don't get me wrong. But there's a depth that you can experience that only comes from extended solitude and silence. One of the things that I've grabbed onto over the years, a great analogy is, we're spinning, it's like we're rolling down a hill inside of a barrel, is this image that um, I heard once about what happens during our lives. And then when we go on a retreat, it's like the barrel stops moving down the hill, but it takes a little while, we're still spinning inside of it, you know? (laughs) It takes a while to just like let everything settle. And so in my experience, it usually takes one to two days to fully quiet my mind. To fully, like, get the noise out. And I think that that's just because we're humans. But here's another reason. So, it works, but also, number two, Jesus did it, and it should be who we are. So, examples in Scripture would be people like Joseph in prison. So, before we get to Jesus, let's talk about, um, you can think of it as the foreshadowing, or just other examples. Joseph in prison, he was forced into solitude, but I wonder if that actually helped form him. David is a shepherd boy. He would be alone all the time. Where did he write all those Psalms? You know, we know at least some of them were formed as he was alone out in the fields. Paul, for 14 years, spent extended solitude from Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Elijah, when he was depressed and spiritually alone and heard that still small voice, he was alone. And John on Patmos, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he was alone in exile. There's something when you look at the people in Scripture, and there's more, who really go deep with the Lord, and it's they're alone. It's a common thread. Think about Jesus. To inaugurate the ministry that he would begin at around age 30, he spent 40 days in the desert, according to Matthew and Luke chapter 3. Forty days of silence and solitude. Also, he would retreat during regular life. There was other big moments, though, like in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, before he chose the 12 disciples, he spent all night in prayer, alone. And obviously we know... um, about his prayer in Gethsemane, but interesting that he separated himself from his best friends, again, to be alone before the Lord. So those are the big moments, right? But there's also these small moments. And so when I talk about, you know, getting away for a retreat and then in the regular moments, this comes from the life of Christ, okay, who is our teacher. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, I hate that, I hate that it says that, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, found alone time. But it wasn't just once. 
In Luke 5, verse 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Ah, it wasn't just one. It's like, okay, there's this precedent we're seeing here. And I want to tell you the story from John chapter 6, because I think this one's really interesting and helpful. It's a particular example of when Jesus got away in a certain moment. And I think it, it paints the picture of what this does for us. It's a little mysterious, but I think it's interesting. So the, the large crowds that Jesus had fed, he had fed the 5,000, gathered around him. And it was kind of this multiple day experience where they, he fed them, then they came back the next day. And they, they're like seeking this guy out because they're like, there's something different about this man. And so it says in John chapter 6, verse 15, that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I don't know what he, like, did on that mountain when he was by himself. Did he pray? Did he need to just, (laughs) was he running because they were trying to forcefully, like, you know, was he running into the caves so that they wouldn't make him king by force? We don't know exactly the psychology behind it or what he did. But we know that he needed to get alone. And I think it's interesting that it's right after the crowds that he got alone. So why did he withdraw? Was he trying to focus on his true identity instead of the king that they wanted him to be? Did he just need to remember where he had come from, where he was going? Did he need to meditate on that? We don't know, but we know that he got away. And I think that this is huge. He also, you know, I I talk about him. It's like, what did Jesus know about himself? (laughs) Well, we knew that he knew the hearts of people. um, But he also knew his own heart. So if it formed all these people, it can form us too. If it formed Jesus, it must form us too. And I want to say this, especially early on in your walk. There's something about going on these retreats that I've been talking about that teaches you how to do it. And so in the smaller moments of life, you already know the skill. That's one of the things that Cal Newport talks about in his book, Deep Work. He says that once you learn how to go deep, you can go there quicker. But you've got to get the skill just like any other skill. I do think it's interesting that it was at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry that he spent 40 days. Jesus was trained just like we were. You know, Luke chapter 2 says that he grew in wisdom and stature before God and man. How did Jesus grow in wisdom? I have no idea, but he did. How much more do we need to grow in wisdom and stature before God and people? And so if you've never gone on a retreat where you're totally alone and silent, go and ask the Lord to teach you. To be like Jesus in that. And then you'll better be able to, in the smaller, regular moments of everyday life, be able to find that silence and solitude. We've got to be trained by it. Um, because it's not inherent or innate into just our discipleship journey. We have to like go there. We have to learn. And so the goal is training. And the result is that we can actually say things like what Jesus said. In John chapter 16, verse 32, he said to his disciples before they all scattered and left him, you will all leave me alone, he said, yet I am not alone. 
for my Father is with me. Learning to be alone is really learning to be alone with God. And there's probably going to be moments in your life where you're thrust into what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul. And you didn't want to be alone. And you don't feel God. But if you're trained to go there, it will at least not be unfamiliar territory. And then maybe you can remember the words of Jesus who said, yet I am not alone, going into his dark night, for my Father is with me. There's a really cool quote um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And he basically, he, he actually has a section about solitude and silence. And he talks about the importance of this discipline. Life Together, though. It's like, why is he talking about this? This is self-explanatory. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Again, if you can't be alone, you're actually kind of um, like (laughs) you could harm the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself. For God has singled you out. He's an intense guy. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. Woo! I do think that it's really important for our health with our communities for us to be alone. Someone who cannot be alone, who needs people, is no fun to be around. I think that's what he's getting at, but in a really deep way, I think that's true. Um, the third argument that I would say of why we need to be alone is saints throughout history have done this. St. Teresa of Avila, a 16th century Spanish nun, um, St. Benedict and the monastic traditions that go back to the 4th century, Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Thomas Merton, and many trusted spiritual leaders today do this on a regular basis. In fact, my dad was the first one I ever heard about doing this. And maybe that's part of the reason that I sought it out at a younger age. Again, think about your legacy and what you're leaving for your children and how it impacts your family. So here's kind of how I want to end that. Let's normalize solitude, where it's just what we do as people. And here's what solitude is and what it is not. It is regular times when we get alone to be with God. It is extended retreats that offer special time with God, but it is not isolation. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation would be the dark side of solitude. And if you just shut off the world because you're (laughs) anti-world, you're against people. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to hear it. But you might need that. That's called isolation. And that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus went alone to be with God for a positive reason, not a negative one. And so let's remember that we can be alone and it can be isolation. It's not just literally getting away. It's your heart as you get away. And so we allow God to meet us there because he wants to, and that's called solitude. 
why is this hard? I think, I think there's some barriers to this that are really significant. So we need to address them. I think we need a vision for this because the truth is it requires great intentionality. So a big part of what I want to do today is just, and what I hope I have been doing, is to give you a vision for what does this actually look like. I want to inspire you to do it, to take action, because it's going to be difficult. I think we've got real challenges like responsibilities. What about my job? I work for the church. How am I going to get away on the weekends? You know, whatever it is, you've got responsibilities. Let alone, if, if you're a parent with kids at home, you've got children. What are they going to do? Maybe you're a mom and you're like, I can't leave my kids alone with my husband. What's he going to do? You know, there's significant barriers here. And then if you just think about it, it you know, I use the, the numbers three to five full days alone. And you're like, Chad, you don't know my life. That's impossible. You're right. I, I don't know your life. But why is it impossible? Let me just challenge that. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to explain to the people who love you? I need to get away. Again, you've got to have that vision, but then you need to have the intention to do it. And we'll talk about the means on how to do it, but you've got to kind of make decisions like this. It will be a sacrifice, but let me tell you, the results, so we do it because it's the kind of people we need to be, but the results of getting away can be extremely life-giving and make more than make up for the sacrifices that you and the people in your life make. It should pay its dividends, okay? I think another barrier is expectations of people on us. There's going to be people who are mad, disappointed, even confused when you say, I need to get alone and be away for three to five days. What? You're not, you can't. They feel a little threatened. Maybe they feel threatened because they want to come too. (laughs) And by the way, I've taken people on retreats with me, and then we're all silent and alone together, but true story. Also, and I think this one's significant, we don't think it's for us. That's for the introverts, but I'm an extrovert. I don't need that. I get my energy from being with people. But let me just press you on that. Where did you get that idea from God? Again, we look at Christian, biblical history, we look at the life of Christ. If Jesus needed it, I'm sorry to pull the Jesus card, then we all need it too. That's just true. I don't care what your personality is. You're a human being created in the image of God following Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need to take our preconceived notions of our personality and say, maybe that's not my personality. Maybe it's a vulnerability. Maybe it's a mask. Maybe it's a blind spot. We need to be willing to challenge that. And Dallas Willard does a great job in his writings to say, to, to say just those kinds of things. Like, if you don't think your personality is going to change through spiritual formation, then you don't understand spiritual formation. Your personality is not fixed. Did you know that? Now, who you are in your identity in Christ is fixed and secure and firm. But how it comes out in your person, which is personality, rooted and anchored in Christ, should change. What else do you think these changes are? Just surface level sort of habits? No, who you are at the very heart level should change. And if that feels vulnerable for you, then welcome to the club. It is. That's why this is hard and not many people do it. 
but it's so good and life-giving. Um, so I just want to free you up. If you think you are, this isn't for you because your personality, let me just say it is. It is for you. <clears throat> In fact, I used to always think of myself as an extrovert, but now I'm really not sure. I'm probably more of an introvert because I spend most of my days alone. But man, if you'd told high school or college Chad that, I would have been like, no, not that, I need people. Um, being alone has trained me to be comfortable with it. I actually really enjoy it now. I also enjoy being with people. But uh, Another barrier is we don't know how to be alone. What do I do? And so that's what I want to talk about. How do we actually do the whole solitude thing? And again, I'll bring your attention back to this worksheet. This will guide you on how to do that. It's really simple, but let me give you some principles for this. Make plans for both regular and um, special retreats. So practice you know, weekly scheduled quiet time. And then plan to regularly retreat in solitude for an extended time. You've got to make plans just like anything else. And so you pick a time and a place for both of these. If you don't pick a time and a place, you're not going to do it. That's just how it works. I think it's interesting that in the Gospels it says that Jesus withdrew to a certain place. I think you need to be broken by a habit before you do the spontaneous thing. I think a lot of people are like, well, I'll just kind of do it whenever I find time or whenever I feel like it. I think that you can do that, but in my experience, for people learning a new habit, it's good to set a time and be broken by it, and then you, 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 have the, you know what it feels like, because sometimes the moment never comes. You never feel like doing it. So, but once you're broken by it, then you'll feel it more. You'll have more intuitions. I wonder why Jesus woke up very early in the morning. Again, in Mark chapter 1, 35, when it says that he did that, if you read the context, the night before, it said the whole town had gathered at the house he was staying at, and he healed everybody who was sick. So there's this crowd to alone dynamic that Jesus sort of danced with. And in my experience, I sort of get this feeling in me. I'm like, I just need to be alone. But it's not like, because I hate those people. It's, no, like there's a deeper reason I need to recharge from being alone with God. Now, I think there's a certain energy we get from being with people. And I think there's a certain energy we get from being alone as fully well-rounded people. And if you haven't learned very well how to do one or the other, then I think you can learn. Again, I, I think you, you'll naturally lean one way or the other. That's part of the personality thing. But if we're like Christ, I think he, he knew how to gain energy from being with people and how to gain energy by being alone. So get those skills. Um, you know, where are you going to go on a retreat? I go to the Abbey of Gethsemane because they have silent retreats. Maybe that's not your thing, you know, to go to a monastery that has a retreat center. <laughs> I'm not going to assume that's everyone's thing, but I will say it's a great option. And if you go to monks.org, they got monks.org. You can go to that particular monastery, and they have a whole ministry, a whole wing, 
called their retreat center that's devoted to helping the church retreat. It's a ministry they have. They feed you. You know, it's basically like being at a hotel. They've got a beautiful, they've got beautiful acres and hundreds of acres that you can go on a hike at. Um, you, you know, you, you could pay if you have the money, but they actually don't charge you. It's amazing. When I was young and poor, and I, I was like, I'm not going to go because I don't have enough money, but I went because it was a ministry they offered. Now I can pay, and so I do. Monks.org is the Abbey of Gethsemane. You, you have to make reservations three to four months out. I've never done that, though. No, one time I did when I brought a bunch of people with me. I'll call them and be like, hey, do you have an opening this weekend? So you can kind of go both ways. Um, I think in the future, I'll, with, as, now that I have a family, I'll have to plan those out a little bit better, but... I do want to say, speaking of family, it's not a family vacation. I need to be really clear about that. If you're like, well, Chad, I'll find some solitude at the beach when I take my wife and kids or, you know, I take my husband down there. No, family vacation is not what I'm talking about. This is you completely alone. I've gone with Rachel, my wife, to the Abbey of Gethsemane, but we don't talk to each other. Now, that's weird, but it's also really good. For both of us. We need time away from our spouse. We need time away from our kids. We need time to be alone. And then make preparations. You know, block out your schedule. I've talked about going a minimum of three days. Trust me on this. I've seen people try and do it a day, day and a half, two days. They're just getting started. They're missing out on the best part. They've just started to rest. Trust me and test me on it. Do it and tell me that I'm wrong. Come on, I challenge you. Three to five days, and you can include travel in that. I understand that there's, you know, sometimes that's about the, the most you can do. Um, unless you're going to Timbuktu, then you probably need longer than three to five days. As you go and make preparations, be really clear with people about why you're going. Because you can sort of, you know, give the world the middle finger and be like, I'm going to be alone with God. And they're like, what? You know, like... Let's be really kind and gracious with people as we go and say, hey, look, and, and as best we can explain it to them, I really need this. Are you willing to support me? I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. Um, because it will affect other people in your life. So explain it to them as best you can. Help them to prepare as well um, instead of just kind of being that super spiritual person that nobody likes because you left all the responsibilities to everyone else. It's like, you know, especially with your family. And I shut my phone off the whole time I'm there, except for once a day. So those are things you really need to explain to people instead of just, why can't I get a hold of him? Or, you know, if you explain it, I think people will understand. And my family has been really understanding. And also, as far as spiritual preparation, pray about it before you go, asking God to lead you to prepare your heart. And if he wants you to do something specific while you're gone. And this is really fun because I often get a special sense for maybe it's a book I need to read, a part of the Bible I need to focus on, or, and this is most of the time, and I'm not saying God's going to do this every time, but in my experience, and I hope he continues to, as I'm going there, almost as I'm arriving, it feels like, it's like the Lord says, this is what we're going to talk about. And I get excited. I'm like, oh, it's time to deal with that. All right. Okay. 
And it is so good and life-giving and special. Again, these are all gifts from the Lord. We don't presume that he's always going to give them. He may not give them to you. But by making ourselves available, it gives God space. It makes space and gives God the honor due him in our lives to say, God, I want to hear from you. And I believe that the Lord longs to speak to us, to willing ears, to ears who want to hear. And then when you're there, as far as how to do solitude, enjoy this time with God to the max. I mean, talk about a spiritual feast. Don't be afraid. Walk into it expectantly, expectantly, hopefully, and, and with joy. You know, one of the things that I would commend to you is to do and to make rituals and monuments for significant moments that you have with God. I feel a little vulnerable sharing this because these are like really personal things. Um, but I, I want to just to, in case it's helpful and encouraging. I hike the same path every year at the Abbey of Gethsemane. And I take a picture at the same spot. It, over the, Probably three or four years in, I started doing this when the iPhone came out, I guess. And it sort of monumentalizes that retreat for me. It's usually on that hike that I have a, a, an encounter with God. Maybe it's the exercise, I don't know, maybe it's getting outside, but that's a moment I look forward to every year. Find rituals like that, ways to monumentalize your journey at that moment. You know, I can point back to certain years I've gone on retreats and been like, that's when I learned this, that's when God did that. Um, you know, for example, you know, maybe I'll journal. Um, I can point to certain retreats where I read certain books that really impacted me. And I got the sense before I went on the retreat that that's something that the Lord wanted to teach me. I remember reading Neil Anderson's Freedom from Fear. That was one of the first retreats I ever did. I think it was the first one. Then I've read Augustine's Confessions, N.T. Wright's After You Believe, and a book about Bonhoeffer called Waiting on the Word. These are all books <laughs> that I actually started and finished on a retreat. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you're alone. But you can go really deep with the Lord, and it's like, ah, oh, nourishment to my soul. These are the kinds of things that you can do only through solitude and silence. So whatever your thing is, maybe your thing's not books, maybe it's not journaling or hiking, but whatever your thing is, I encourage you to go deep with it. Maybe get like obsessed about it. I've always wanted to chart out my schedule. It's like, hey, if that's your thing, go for it. You know, I've always wanted to try and pray all night. Go for it. I've, here's the thing, though. It's sort of a dance where it's like, I feel real tired. I'm not feeling like doing anything. What's really cool, and this goes back to the desire thing, knowing yourself is really important on these retreats. And you'll get to know yourself better. But I generally sleep so much on the first day or two that it's, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I've got a lead weight just dragging me down. I'm like, I just need to sleep. But I do it and I don't over-spiritualize things because I think my soul, my whole life needs to just stop. And it includes my body. And so I, I go there. So I would say allow your body to rest in the first couple days more than you will in the other days. 
And then also listen to your intuitions and feel free to do as you see fit. And here's why. This opens up your true self so that you can do real work with the Lord. If you're not doing what you want on this retreat, then it's hard for God to change what you want. It's kind of tough to put words to it, but it's like, start with where you're at, any kind of good desire that you have, and watch as God starts and walks with you there, and then maybe he takes you on a different path, or he reveals something to you. And then I would also say, be consistent with what you do on that retreat. So if you decide at the beginning, hey, I really think the Lord wants me to do this. I remember, I felt like the Lord wanted me to read through 1 Corinthians, um, a couple chapters, I guess it would be like three or four chapters a day throughout the day, and then meditate on one part of that chapter. (laughs) Okay, well, I just, I did it. I completed it. Be true to yourself, but also like follow through with where you think the Lord is leading you, because maybe it's at the very end that he's got something for you. Um, And then what's cool is when we come back to regular life, it's like the retreat bleeds into the rest of our life, and we remember it. You know how sin leaves this, this nagging feeling of guilt and shame on us. It's like, get it off of me, right? Righteousness has the same effect, but in the opposite way. It's this delight. It's this joy. It's this beautiful memory that we carry with us. Shouldn't that be true too? And retreats do that in a really deep and personal way. In fact, I remember um, just this year on a retreat, it was like... I was missing something huge and the Lord just like went like this with me. And I was like, ah, oh, and in fact, um, this is part of the reason I chose this book. I was rereading this. It had been probably seven or eight years since I'd read it. And I was reading back through it. And you know, when you read a, a, a good book, you're like, I don't remember again. It's like, I don't remember reading that at all. The first time is that in here it happens to me reading the Bible a lot. That's in the Bible. I was reading something in this book. There was, I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but he says, Dallas Willard says, and by the way, all this is about love. And the way he said it at that moment in February of this year, I was like, oh, it is all about love. What have I been doing? Like, I know it's about love, but the Lord ministered to my spirit in a really specific way on that retreat that really has changed a lot of my interactions with people since then. And I can't really explain it, but it was real and so life-giving because sin is such a burden that we bear. Unformation is not only inconvenient, but it's a burden that we bear. When we form and disciple our kids, we're giving them a gift. The same with the Lord as we receive spiritual formation in our lives. It's a gift the Lord is giving us. It's this beautiful gift that we receive. And so I just want to encourage you that this is so good for you. It's not just a discipline that you have to do. This can just bring so much life um, and joy to you. So that's why we do it. Now let's talk about silence, which we must have in order to have effective solitude. So why is silence so important for solitude? 
Number one, it's a command that we should obey. It's this precedent in Scripture. Um, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Being still is connected to knowing God in Scripture. So when I talk about silence, I really mean metaphorical and literal silence. Be still means to stop, to cease, to halt what you're doing. So the first person we're silent with is ourselves. And then in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, we learn that silence gives us salvation and strength. Interesting. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, you pursue Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. Here's the thing. God offers these things to us, but oftentimes we would have none of it. And he says, no, (laughs) it's salvation and strength for you. That's why we do it. God is for us, people, not against us. These are gifts. It also trains us for righteousness. In James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. How can you be quick to listen and slow to speak if you're not trained by it? What do you just wake up one day and you do it? By being silent in retreats, you're literally training yourself to be quiet in general so that you can obey Scripture. I find that practicing these disciplines not only bleeds into life in terms of joy and kind of monumental moments with the Lord, but also in the habits of my heart. I can much more easily not get angry because I've learned how to quiet the voices in in my own head when I'm alone by the grace of God. And so when someone sort of, you know, bucks up against you, you've got the skills, you've got the tools to just be quiet. To literally not open your mouth. Some of us need that more than others. I'm one of them. It's to help us be trained in righteousness. And notice it says everyone should be quick to listen. Not just the introverts. Jesus did this too though. He was silent when he needed to be. In Mark chapter 14 verses 60 to 61 it says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? It says, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Then again, same night, before Pilate, John chapter, 16, John chapter 19, verses 8 to 10, when Pilate heard this, another conversation, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. He talked to Jesus and said, where do you come from? But it says, Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus had been trained not only by solitude, but also by silence. And he was able to be silent when he needed to because he had been formed by God to keep his mouth. Hmm. To keep his tongue. 
So in conclusion of that, the discipline of silence helps us to become like Jesus and trains us to be silent when we need to be. But here's the cool thing. Not only is it a command, not only does Jesus give us a precedent, but also it works. And so we should do it. Here's the benefits of silence. We hear God. We're changed by God. We can experience heart transformation. It can bring peace in places of deep anxiety. It leads to joy, and it helps us become righteous, kind, and wise. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So what kind of silence am I talking about? I think in terms of literal noise, it means silence by getting away from kids. <laughs> silence from all of our machines. The traffic, the as best we can, the beeps on our phone. The, I still remember AOL. You've got mail. All the little noises and the new noises that'll come, the notifications, even music. Here's what's interesting. Even your own voice. On silent retreats, even you should be silent. But also metaphorically, I think, that silence means that we get away from distractions of our ears and of our, of our eyes. So shut off, um, shut off the screens. Turn the, turn the laptop off. Turn, turn all of it off. Any kind of noise, literal or metaphorical. But why is this hard? Why is silence difficult for us? I think because there is so much noise in our lives. You know, we talk about social media, phone calls, texts, emails, interruptions, advertisement, commercials, to-do items, our own thoughts racing through our heads. There's so much noise, but I think we also create excuses. Well, I can't because of kids. Again, going, it's similar to the solitude thing. I can't just ignore my kids. You know what Susanna Wesley used to do, though? So she had, I don't even know how many kids. It was like 10 or 12 kids. Right, so John and Charles Wesley's mother, their great disciple maker. She would, she told her kids, whenever I put my apron over my head, it means don't talk to me. <laughs> no, I don't know what point in their lives you need to make sure that your kids will not harm themselves, but <laughs> she figured out a way to find silence in her own context. Do whatever it takes, even if you've got kids. I can't because of work. Really? Okay. Why not? Are you not allowed to, to turn off your email and answer it once or twice a day only? It's actually a good practice. Even scientifically speaking, it can be really good, really good. I'm an extrovert. I can't, you know, I've got to talk to people. I've got to hear from people. So there's the being with people, but then there's the talking with people. Or, you know, some people always have to have the TV on if they're alone at their house. Just that noise. Why? What is that feeling that if you create space orally, that then you could hear God more easily? So being alone is one thing, but being alone in silence is the fullness of being alone, is one way to think of it. That's why solitude is the primal discipline of abstinence. Silence is just its close companion. And if you don't have silence with your solitude, it's going to be hard to fully go into solitude. 
and then, you know, I think we've got practical challenges, obviously. It's like my boss, I've got to please, you know, my kids, I got to feed and all this stuff. But let me just say those challenges can be overcome with intentionality, prayer and thoughtfulness. So how do we find silence? Number one, we need to identify what the noise in our life is. And again, this is very personal. And so I've created this worksheet to help you work through these things. This is a tool for you to use to help you identify what causes noise in your life. You know, my first iPhone came into my life at age 25, which was actually late. People had it for years before that. So let's see, that would have been right around 2011 for me, 2010, 2011. And I remember watching other people with their iPhone and being like, I don't want to be like that. They're always distracted and this and that. It's like, I don't want to be addicted to it. It was also the year I started drinking coffee, which I was also trying to avoid being addicted to. So I was very averse to these addictions. So I prayed about it. I said, Lord, like, I think there's, there could be use to this iPhone thing. I actually prayed this, by the way. Help me not to be addicted to it. And so I did. I prayed about it. I'm, I'm searching for my, my other. F- hold on, hold on. I think it's in here. Just a second. Okay, this is, this is actually part of the point. So I prayed about it. I've had a, a smartphone since then until last year. And I noticed myself, so this is an iPod touch. I noticed myself on it a lot, and my mind is very distracted by it. A lot of noise in my life. And I work, my, my work is actually in digital media. It's literally my job. I do, I help produce and publish books as well, but most of it's on some sort of device. But I, my first priority is God, not my job. And so I always like to tell this story because if anyone has the excuse to have a smartphone with them at all times, it's me. It's literally my job, or so I'm told. There's ways around these things. I was convicted to find some alternative to the smartphone. It's called the dumb phone. And so I got, what's, it, I got the light phone. This is actually my new phone as of like six months ago. And this is the first time I've wanted to even share about it with other people, I guess even publicly, because I wanted to give it a shot for a while, see if it worked. And it does work. It's called the Light Phone 2. And it is, it has no apps on it. It does calls and texts. It actually does podcasts, which is really cool. Um, And they're developing new things all the time. My monthly bill is cut in half. This costs half as much. And literally, I do use this when I have like, you know, Wi-Fi, but when I'm out, I can't use it. And so it trains me to not be distracted. That's a way that I find silence in my life. You've got to, you know, first identify what is it for you that causes noise? You know, and so that's, that's the question. Because if you're constantly distracted by things, where it's like, ding, oh, you know, it's like Pavlov's dog kind of, like it's scary what is happening to us and our children. Here's what's cool. My wife got one too. Now, we may decide that in another season of life, this isn't what we want. But in this season of life, this is where we're at. And I can hand this to Emma. 
my two-year-old daughter, she doesn't know what to do. She can't, she's like, boring. <laughs> I could also give this to my daughter, Emma, when she needs a phone and she can use it. And I'm not afraid of the kind of addiction that smartphones uniquely have. So I just wanted to say that, but it may not be a smartphone for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's many other things. Maybe it's listening to the radio on the way to work. What if you were silent during that time? It's these kinds of things, not just on a big retreat, but in the everyday moments of life. What are the things that are causing noise? And then number two is make decisions about those distractions in your life. So what decisions do you need to make? And we have to be okay with the consequences of making decisions about this. The big temptation with having distractions and noise is essentially the fact that it produces a result for us. That's why we do it. That's why we give in, right? I'll answer that email when I told myself I wasn't going to. And it's like, oh man, I'm glad I did that because then I would have lost a sale, you know, or <laughs> come on. Life is not all about work. It's not all about responding immediately to all these things. Your relationship with God is so important that it's worth turning things off and being silent. Your relationship with your family is so important that it's worth turning these things off. I had one of those frightful moments where I was talking to a, a man whose son was getting ready to leave home. And so it was at this co-working space I was at in Nashville. And so I, I always tried to get lunch with people that I, I ended up talking to in this kind of co-working space. So I sat down with this guy, probably in his late 40s, and his son was getting ready to leave home. And, and I just, I was like, hey, what's your story? And he was a believer. And in his story, he, he, uh, he said, but this. He's like, I wouldn't turn this off. And he goes, I regret it. He's like, I missed out on a lot of things because I had this. And I took, that was like a weighty statement that he made. And I was like, oh, man. I remembered it. You know, I think there's more to this than just our relationship with God. It's our relationships with people. I've tried to disciple young men who are so attached to their phone, they literally can't go an hour and a half without checking it. So think about, hey, I, I might not be addicted to this, but what kind of precedent is it setting for people around me? And maybe you are more addicted to things like that than you think you are. What is that doing to train other people that you influence? The reason I got a dumb phone was partially because a pastor I know, who also had every excuse to have a smartphone, had a dumb phone as well. And I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. And you know what? I don't get pictures when you text me. I don't get videos and I can't click on links, which happens daily. It's worth it. It's worth it because I'm trying to follow God, not the way our culture is dictating things to us or marketing things to us. So I just encourage you, find whatever it is for you, whatever legacy you need to leave, make these decisions because in order to be fully present, we must accept the consequences. We must accept the consequences of not submitting to the tyranny of urgency. In order to be fully present, we have to accept the consequences of not submitting ourselves to the tyranny of urgency. There will be consequences 
things will go differently than you want them to, but you need to accept those in order to be fully present. So you might take a break from media or radio station or, you know, social media fast. I, well, I don't call it a social media fast. Fasting is from food. Biblically speaking, there's only one kind of fasting. It's from food. There's no social media fasting. You can take a break from social media and that's good, but it's not fasting. We'll talk more about that at a, in a later session. You know, I think it's also setting boundaries in a general way. You know, like I've been talking about. But it might be bigger decisions too, like not having a TV, canceling that Spotify subscription, getting rid of a, of a certain device. <laughs> certain vice that might come with a device. Um, and consider putting these things in your rule of life. Again, we'll come back to that. And then number three is make plans and consistently follow through with your decisions. So you're identifying your distractions and noises, then you're making decisions about them, and now make plans to consistently follow through with those decisions. And so what's your plan? You know, again, it's on this sheet. What is your plan for entering into silence? You know, possible answers might be, check your email at only a certain time of the day. Recently, a new habit I've made is to watch the news only at a certain time of the day. I'm telling you what, man. <laughs> in 2020, it's really tempting to, to watch the news at every chance you get. And I was doing it right before I went to bed. Just, oh, i got to see what's on the news. Mm-mm. Not good for me and my sleep. Not good for my relationship with my wife. It's like, let's go to sleep, you know. You need to make decisions that are, that are unique to you in this season. Um, maybe you make a bedtime. <laughs> we have a new lights out time, a new devices off time in our house. This is really recent stuff. You might have social media only in a certain area. Um, part of my decision with this is, um, I, for a while I had no social media apps on this. This was just for email and a calendar and pictures and things. I've recently put social media back on, but for probably six months, I had only social media on my iPad, and my iPad was over there. And I would only go on social media when I went over there, which was only like once or twice a day when I was at my best. But putting distance between yourself and the thing where it's like, during this time, I'll do it, and it's not bad. I want to check on how people are doing or this and that. But then it's done when you're done with it, and it's not this constant distraction. And then number four is ask for accountability. This is where it really helps, you know, um, if you've got a sponsor, a mentor, a disciple maker, a friend, someone who can help give you accountability for this. And so part of the exercise um, for this week is to list a few names, you know, and then you can pick one. And then number five is this, and this is kind of an open-ended question. How will you know if you've succeeded at silence and solitude. How will you know? I think that's important. How will you know you've been successful? I'm more at peace. Um, I sleep better, which is true for me, by the way, even in the last week since I started some new habits. How will you know that you've been successful? I'm, more, I'm happier. 
the more at rest. I'm actually doing what I want to do. It's like, I can pray again. <laughs> okay. List those things out. How will you know you've been successful? We do it for work. Let's do it with God. How much more should we do those kinds of things with God? Okay, and so I just want to close with reiterating some of the benefits for both solitude and silence. I think that this offers an, us an opportunity to be more relaxed and at peace in life, similar to what I was just saying. I think you'll be able to hear from God in ways um, that he wants to speak to you. I think you might be able to refocus, maybe hear for the first time what your calling is. And then once you know your calling, if the Lord gives you a specific one, then to refocus on it. You know, we, we can get off pretty easily, but retreats and time alone with God can help us refocus. You can intentionally look at your rural life. I think it's a great practice when you go on these retreats, um, especially these annual retreats, is to bring your rural life, look at it again and be like, whoa, I am neglecting this whole area. Or, Lord, what else do you want? And you can reform it. And here's what I believe. I think that there are certain breakthroughs between you and the Lord that will only happen when you get away to be alone and silent before God. I really believe that. I don't know why God chooses to speak to us in certain contexts and in certain ways, including when we're alone, but he does. And I think it's because we're basically physically making the space that we metaphorically make in our hearts. We're giving him room in our life. And I think he honors that when we sanctify that time. And he says, yes, you want to make me holy in your life? I want to make you holy in your life. I think there are breakthroughs that you and I will only receive through solitude and silence. And so let's receive it. Well, that's it. I want to I want to leave the rest of our time for Q&A and then talking about what we're going to do this week. So let me just pause there. I know we've talked about a lot. I hope it's been really encouraging for you. Um, but I, I want to make some space for you and for what either comments or questions. Um, and if you can, try and give me kind of the, as best you can, the kind of the quicker version so that I can help people online track with us, uh, even if you want to break it up into little spurts. Yeah, what questions or comments do you have? Because maybe I've missed some things or uh, I haven't communicated clearly. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So, so you've thought about this for a long time and you've even believed you need it, but just knowing as a woman, where can I go and be safe? Um, so having a sp even just one option, and there's more options, but having one is really helpful. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to, that was really good. Um, Angela said that one of the biggest barriers is that to silence is that if we're silent, then we'll actually hear what's inside of ourselves, and we don't want to hear that. Thank you for saying that. Can anyone else relate? I can. It's like, if I actually make space what is God going to say? What am I going to say? And we're afraid. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a real barrier. Who has gone on retreats like this? A couple? Anyone online? Not be great. Right. 
The first time might not be great. Yeah. Yeah. Just sharing my experiences was helpful, like that you can sleep a lot. But yeah, I really, I really want to thank you for emphasizing that. It's like, who knows what will happen? <laughs> and I never want to presume God's even going to speak to me. You know what I mean? It's like, I sure hope he does. And he, he usually does, but it's very personal. That's part of the beauty of it. Um, okay. Gary's question was, how do you prepare other people around you, like your spouse, um, when you're going away for three to five days? Um, you know, I, I joked about doing it last minute um, because when I was single, I could do that. And it basically affected nobody. Um, but now it's different. And so I would say, you know, go ahead and plan now. I mean, I'm even thinking, by the way, during this pandemic, the Abbey of Gethsemane is closed. But maybe you could rent an Airbnb or it's like, well, that costs too much. Well, maybe it costs too much not to go. Um, camping, yeah, go to a KOA. There's, there's some, or a tent. Um, get away, be alone. Go into the wilderness. No, I'm just kidding. Um, unless that's your thing. You know, communicate well with people. Hey, I'm going to be at this place. Uh, here's why I'm doing it. Um, will you support me in this? Not, I'm going to do this and you, you better get along with it. Or you, you better get on board with it. But like, hey, or even, hey, can we pray about this together to find a good time? Like actually making the plan with your family, uh, your spouse. Uh, maybe they come with you. Maybe someone else takes the kids and you guys r- retreat alone together. Now that can be complicated. Um, it can be complicated. It's doable. It's just a little more difficult. Um, yep. And then I talk to your kids about it. It's amazing. Like I said, I remember when I was just a young kid, I remember my dad going on retreats. And then when I was older, I was like, oh, cool. I could do a retreat too. And I was like, oh, this is why, you know, you learn later. So does that help? Okay. Well, let me, um, if you have any more questions or comments, um, feel free to break in, but I'm going to go ahead and um, just reiterate these. Um, these are really important to, to do. Again, this is your first step in making plans and, and ushering change into your life. These are even good practices for someone who's experienced to sort of say, okay, moving forward, what are the distractions? Where am I at right now? Uh, where can I go? What can I do during a pandemic? Like <laughs> everything's back on the table during these unprecedented times. Whatever you haven't finished so far are really important. It's, these are cumulative things. If you don't know what your primary desire is right now, it's going to be hard. Or if you don't know your barriers, it's going to be hard to move forward with some of these other things. And look, these are not difficult things. Literally just minutes, not even hours to do. <laughs> so take the time to do them. It's not too late to turn those things in. How are you guys feeling? Is this exciting? Liberating? This is good stuff. I'm really excited about our next session. Sabbath is something I'm super passionate about. And so I'm really excited to go there with you guys. All right. Bye.